Here the old gods are dead. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, uh, this is a creepy podcast. I'm Rebecca with Liam. Attention, pickpocket! <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine how that sounded on the mic. Attention, pickpocket! I'm going to start screaming that in Edinburgh. I'm so obsessed. Yeah, in Edinburgh, but it's actually when you go into the businesses, thieving bastards. Fringe season, everyone. Fringe season is upon us. Attenzione, pickpocket. Attenzione, pickpocket. (laughs) Yeah, not sponsored, but I am brew extra ice cream. I need. I want to try it so bad, but the cream soda flavor of it did you know like so many people so like cream soda in certain parts of the world is different to like what cream soda is here um narius always says that cream soda as it is in lithuania at least tastes the same as iron brew and then a girl megan um that is going to be working with me soon she's from australia and mm-hmm. she said, oh, it just tastes like creamy soda. And I was like, what do you mean? No, it doesn't. Bar so creamy really... soda tastes like creamy soda. Yeah. But I'm so interested to see, like, if the ice cream version of Iron Brew just tastes like cream <laughs> soda. <laughs> no, it tastes like vanilla Iron Brew. It's that really good. deranged, almost. It's, it's like if vanilla Coke was actually good. I like vanilla Coke. I don't like vanilla Diet Coke. So I think wrong. vanilla coke's like two vanilla. This is fucking riven. <laughs> do you know? Do you know who does a good paracetamol? Morrison's. Morrison. No, granddad, granddads are in the world. They're so right for enjoying cream soda. Yeah, I agree. I tried to get Nary to try red cola the other week, and he was like, "Oh, I don't like it." Blow your head I- off that stuff. Tizer's amazing. I love Tizer. <gasps> Tizer and a chippy. Mm. <laughs> Dad drinks really go so hard. Like, they're so good. <laughs> oh, my God. There's post at my door. Hold on. I got a dress. Ew. 
Let's fire away then. You're not a girl. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. It is David. <laughs> Those genetics, they do be. <laughs> there is something to be said. <laughs> I was talking to my cousins on my dad's side, and they're all lassies as well. And uh, we were just talking about how we've been uh, stuck with like a very male face, and no one like a hot model kind of way just said like a man in a wig (laughs) (laughs) um advertises themselves on dating apps as like cross-dresser in queen's park (laughs) is that what you mean (laughs) no i just genuinely look like my dad like my girlfriend like famously looks like winona Ryder, and i look like my dad derogatory i look like my father Oh, she she does look like Winona Ryder, actually. See, this is what happens when you can when you're really when you're really funny. <laughs> Sometimes it does work. That's why I don't believe in incels, and I really just think they're horrible people, and they don't realize yeah. that. I'm just pretty. I think. I'm just... uh, yeah, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I will never say a bad thing about myself. That's one thing. <laughs> Um, so we got tickets to Eras. Fuck everybody else who didn't. Who else is coming? Comment below, even though this isn't a YouTube video. Comment below. Who's coming? The way that I'm going to be like burping for this whole episode because I fucking I'm very extra. This episode sponsored by Dads Around the World. <laughs> uh, what have you been up to other than Eras? What have you, what did you do at the weekend? We're recording this on time. This is so fucking crazy. It's so laid back when we don't have to like. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah, no. When we're not recording on like a Monday or Tuesday night. <laughs> Technically, we are we are recording on a Tuesday night, but a week ahead of schedule. That's so fucking crazy. That's very fitting. I mean, right into episodes in one afternoon. Um, <laughs> I didn't see. If anybody has any tips for this, please let me can. But basically, any like, so I'll do like a block of shifts. And then the day off that I have immediately after that, I get like a headache or a migraine mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I want to die because then I ruin like one of my days off by being like asleep the entire day. Yeah. Um. So skip Saturday and then on Sunday, I watched National Treasure and made loads of margaritas. <laughs> that sounded so good. Like the, all of your drinks that you've been making recently have looked nice. Yeah, I got a cocktail shaker. I'm really taking the piss. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, I normally don't drink spirits and I drink beer and I get like really, really, really badly hungover. And now I'm drinking spirits and I'm like, this is crazy. Like, I don't even have a hangover. I thought you were going to say I get really badly homophobic. And I was like, I don't think that's the alcohol. I think you've always been that way. <laughs> no, that's you. <laughs> I think we both. <laughs> I'll, I'll say something and you'll go, so true, actually. Like, that's so valid. <laughs> You're no, complicit. I'm like a, Implicit? I'm like in a mid-century housewife, Stepford wife cocktail making era. Okay, so you are homophobic. Yeah. <laughs> Crab cat, core core. <laughs> what what did you do? Oh my god, I missed my entire Sunday because I was up until six a.m. Because I went to a party and I've not like stayed up that late in a very long time. 
Yeah, and I couldn't stop saying pig fucker. You pig fucker. <laughs> <laughs> like, because we were there with like, from? I don't know. I think it's from, uh, or it's maybe bald and beautiful. But I can't stop saying it. Um, but I kept saying it to, because like, it's my friends and it's this group of boys from home that like famously hate us. And they think we're all so stupid. So we just go there and like act up the stupidity and be annoying. Um, And they think we're stupid, but I got them with the same three jokes like 20 times in a night. Like one of them from the window. Picture this. We're out on the street. (laughs) I shout up, Kieran, Kieran, is Joe there yet? He's Joe who like? And I said, Joe mama. (laughs) (laughs) And that got him. But then I got him with, uh, sorry, my great granny's actually in hospital with Ligma right now. And then he was like, what's Ligma? <laughs> and then it's like Ligma, and then you just insert anything. Like so, so you think people who fall for these kinds of jokes are stupid? I never said that. I'm not I'm just like saying it's funny of, that they... Not I'm active think, listeners who care about everything you say. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking it's uh, it's funny that they think that I'm stupid and I got them with like the most bottom of the barrel humour multiple times. Oh my oh, yeah. God, when I was at the party, someone's telling me a, a really creepy story about Blaskin House that was really good. And next episode, hold me accountable. I will find it out because I was so fucking drunk that I've forgotten it now. Still haven't picked what we're doing for the next episode, but I will begin writing it tomorrow so maybe for once in my life i'll honor that they can't force us to do the selkies again although someone commented something and even i knew that we had done it so like you're not paying attention if i know we did it and you don't like yeah not you like the person commenting when i put a call being well no when we were like kind of like joking around being like you're never gonna guess like what we're doing and it was a series on william wallace we were like it's a scottish icon and somebody messaged us and was like um oh Sonny Bean. I was like, uh, <laughs> real ones know that it's one of your worst episodes. <laughs> the early episodes got trash and everyone knows it. No one's listening. This is our know that no one's listening. Someone said Blaskin House as well. And I was like, um, <laughs> that was oh, the what? first episode. <laughs> <laughs> Which has famously been edited like 20 times because of the rough cut out. Oh. And it's still bad. And it's still bad. Yeah, it's still rotten. Busted, rotted, gutted. For our 100th episode, we'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, speaking of episodes that are actually good, That's last fine. episode, <laughs> some of my best work. Some of my best work. <laughs> that script was written by hand. The whole script for this William Wallace series is like 5,000 words. That's really? crazy. Yeah. That's how long it took. That's like I did it in an afternoon on downtime. (laughs) (laughs) Boo, nerd! (laughs) I alright. I got paid like twenty four pound to write that. (laughs) Okay, you win. You win this round. I have to do work at work, so. (laughs) Uh, No, we'll take a wee break. Um, we'll talk about William Wallace Part Two. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. 
Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So apologies to anybody who can hear the children screaming outside my door. Uh, it is, oh my god it is quite bad it is, it is quite really bad, bad. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I actually can't do much about it because I'm not about to move my whole set up oh my god you should embrace your inner old person and be like get off my lawn no I think it's good that they're playing outside and not like on their iPads anywho aye, so in the last episode we kind of like left on a cliffhanger um, if you haven't listened to episode one of William Wallace I suggest that you do that but I will give a brief summary of what we spoke about. So William Wallace is born in the late 1200s. When he was a wee boy, the King of Scotland, Alexander III, died. And then basically all of his heirs died, leaving like basically a fight for the Scottish throne. And the Scottish nobles at the time put the King of England in charge of selecting that monarch uh, Edward the First of England picked a puppet, basically, who he could manipulate and put him on the throne, and his name was John Balliol. Such a shock. John Balliol defies Edward by basically signing the old alliance with France. England are currently at war with France during this point, so Edward <laughs> invades Scotland, and so starts the First Wars of Scottish in- Independence. And along comes a little outlaw-turned-rebel William Wallace, who um, is fighting in like skirmishes, like along the Scottish borders and in Dundee and stuff, <laughs> and he meets up with a Scottish nobleman called Andrew Murray, and they join forces to meet the English army at Stirling, and that's where we left off. That's a pretty decent summary of the WWE. That was a really good summary. <laughs> it was like, and we and we really did a whole episode on that when we could have just. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just summarize this next episode. No, so we, this is um, a majority of this episode is going to be about 
two battles. The Battle of Stirling Bridge, fam- one of the most famous battles in Scottish history, and the Battle of Falkirk, which not a lot of people care about, and you'll understand why. Mm-hmm. Andrew Murray and William Wallace and their forces are arriving at Much. Stirling to face Edward's forces. Edward is not there. So Stirling being at the centre of the lowlands was important strategically. Towering over the flatlands stands one of the most formidable castles in Britain. Through the flatlands surrounding the town runs the River Forth, which in this course of the river is very deep and fast running. This combination of factors kept the Highland clans at bay for overrunning the lowlands. And in the Middle Ages, Stirling was very much the gateway to the Highlands. And the key to that gateway was a narrow wooden bridge which spanned the Swirling Forth a little above the town. The Forth Road Bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's kind of like important to Ken why. So capturing, like, obviously, like, it is, like, really strategically important, but, like, to mention the fact that it's, like, the gateway to the Highlands is, like, really, really important because, basically, if Edward's army was able to capture Stirling Castle, they would just piss into the Highlands and capture everywhere else very easily. It's, like, the last fortress before the Highlands. And because the Highlanders are all basically really spread out or fighting amongst themselves, like in small factions, it's pretty easy to overrun if the English army could get there. This narrow wooden bridge, which was the gateway to the Highlands, was Stirling Bridge, and this was vital in any confrontation between the Scots and the mighty England. With the exception of the struggling fortress of Dundee, all of Scotland north of the Forth was in Scottish hands. The large English army, which was headed by Earl Warren and a treasurer named Cressingham, was now being led through the centre of the country, aiming at relieving Stirling Castle and seizing the bridge. Then they could basically pacify the Highlands, which was the territory which was controlled by Murray and Wallace. The stakes were really high. If England succeeded, then Murray and Wallace would be forced back onto the defensive and would be reduced to insignificant partisan leaders. If they succeeded, however, they would be in a strong position not only to hive out the English, but to take power over Scotland into their own hands. And never before had the community of Scotland stood up to the mighty the English army. At the beginning of the Wars of Independence at the Battles of Dunbar and Irvine, which we spoke about in the last episode, Scottish levies had been commanded by feudal superiors. In one, they had been soundly defeated, and in the other, they had been embarrassingly forced to surrender. Because of like, what happened at Dunbar and Irvine, like, the English like really, really are underestimating like what the Scottish army is capable of. Like, they genuinely think they're going to go and stamp them out and take over the whole of Scotland. I mean, it says much for the common people and the lesser gentry and the peasantry who rallied with Wallace at Stirling that they were prepared to risk everything because they they obviously like these like poorer people are like well like this is a last resort because what's happened in the past with like these English battles like we're literally ready to die for this yeah like we're ready to die to get these people out of our country also speaking volumes to the leadership Murray and Wallace, the both of them were like hardly being teenagers. They're in their early 20s and they took to the field against one of the most seasoned warriors of the period and the most experienced army in all of Europe. So the collective English forces amounted to about a thousand horsemen, 50,000 infantry drawn for all counties of England north of Trent, but also including sizable contingents for Ireland and Wales. Mm. 
A second army, 8,000 foot soldiers and 300 horsemen was headed north from Carlisle at the time that this huge army was moving to Stirling. So like they, they've already got an army coming ahead because they think that Stirling's going to go well yeah. and that they're going to be able to just send all these forces in, in to the rest of Scotland. I will say though that like, I mean, it sounds like a, like the thousand horsemen and the massive amount of like infantry. They're not all there yet, but even even still, like even if you cut that in half, like they could still kill like Wipe the whole out. Scottish army, no problem. Yeah. This formidable force included veterans of the wars in the Holy Lands and France and the campaigns in Wales and previous conflicts in Scotland. It was well equipped, well armed, and more importantly, it was an army that had never known defeat. Yeah. On the other side, (laughs) (laughs) the Scots had shown poor fieldcraft at Dunbar and a general lack of discipline, while the disunity of their leaders, which was so evident at Irvine only two months previously, was common knowledge in the English ranks. Like, the Scottish army was a total joke. Yeah, very, like, (laughs) Like, Lord of the Rings, very... uh... Yeah, but, like, you can, like, in Lord of the Rings, where, like, there's just, like, an art, like, the wee animated army orcs, and, like, it just gets, like, swept down in, like, one fell motion. Yeah. That's, like, basically what Irvin was like. Like, the Scottish soldiers were, like, tripping air themselves, stabbing each other, (laughs) like, falling in the mud, like, they were totally, like, unprepared. Like kind of funny, though. Like to imagine. <laughs> I mean, it is like, but like, obviously, these are like young men that are being like sent to death, basically. Like, even like mm. the Scots horses um, are like really thin and small. They're not like Shetland ponies, but like, like basically, yeah. imagine like if the if the English are on like huge war horses. I reckon if like they would have been the quite the size of like Clydesdales, but they're like massive, muscly, fast horses that could take a beating and then the scottish horses are like yeah like scottish a... breeds of horses go to two extremes as far as i'm aware because uh one of the people that i work with right now is like a horse girl and so they're either <laughs> like clydesdales like massive which is far less populous than like the vast amount of different ponies that they yeah. have in scotland like a lot of pony breeds <laughs> which are yes. very small thin small very Frail. thin legs and obviously, Clydesdale, like this was like nearly like eight hundred years ago. Like even Clydesdales wouldn't have been like they as big as they are now. Like they've yeah. been like bred to be like bred. disgustingly yeah. huge. Crowd control. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so Wallace would account how few of the Scottish lords were supporting him. But the nobles of Scotland had actually been tamed by this point. They were either serving King Edward in his war with France, or they were imprisoned in the Tower of London or other English prisons. So Wallace hasn't got a lot of support, and the remaining nobles that are in Scotland would never support somebody who's a such like low nobility. Like Wallace is a nobleman, but it's like the lowest to the low. Yeah, like I think it's just because his father was like an accomplished archer. The like family name became like noble adjacent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they had like a small amount of land, but like it's nothing like serious. Like, nay, nay, noblemen were coming out to help him apart from like Murray and like four other, and even Murray's like lesser gentry, very yeah. lowborn. Anyway, John de Warren led the English army alongside Hugh de Cressingham who was the treasurer of Scotland for the English occupation. 
Cressingham in particular was extremely unpopular with the Scots and wasn't well liked by the English either. <laughs> His presence only served to anger the Scots further. Neither Warren or Cressingham saw the Scots as much a threat. They arrogantly assumed that their army was superior and that a victory would be easy to obtain. I'm not going to lie, I don't blame them for having that opinion. I know, well, if you if you think <laughs> of like Irvin and stuff, like it is very easy to assume. Like they were, they were bozos and buttheads. They were bozos and buttheads. What is what is that kind of like? Your pride will be your downfall. Yeah, let's say that. As a result of this, like, sense of importance, De Warren actually sent a number of the soldiers home before the fighting began so that he could avoid paying their wages. Mm. And he even slept in late on the morning of the Battle of Stirling Bridge. Damn, managers have never changed. <laughs> managers have never changed. They do the same shit in retail on like Black Friday or something. Like, is... <laughs> and then you get shafted. They're like, labor's like... a bit high. Does anybody want a fag break? <laughs> <laughs> so we're not getting the footfall we thought we would. Um, you can go home early if you want. Someone was so happy. I bet they saw the news after this and were like, yes. <laughs> I can't swim. I'm so glad that I went home. <laughs> <laughs> so between the two armies there was only one way to cross the river which was Stirling Bridge the bridge was very narrow and would only allow soldiers on horseback to cross two at a time Fair. some of the English forces suggested crossing further upstream but Cressingham convinced Warren that a direct attack was the best tactic and the English cool. army began to march across the bridge unaware that they were heading straight into a trap Nice. Wallace and Murray waited patiently as the English soldiers trickled over Stirling Bridge in small numbers. They held off their attack until there was as many English on the other side of the bridge as they could possibly fight, and then they charged. The Scots spear formations forced the infantry back into the advancing cavalry. Basically, when the Scots advance and put their spears in, all the soldiers who are at the front kind of fall back into the horses. The horses panic. It's an absolute mess. A pivotal change led by one of Wallace's captains caused some English soldiers to retreat as others pushed forward. And under the overwhelming weight, the bridge collapsed and many English soldiers drowned. De Warren and his English forces retreated to Berwick near the border, leaving Stirling in its castle in the hands of Wallace and Murray. Cressingham was killed during the battle, and it's said that the Scots cut his body into pieces and that Wallace had a belt made for his skin that he hung his sword from. So basically, Wallace made sure that the skin for the top of Cressingham's neck, didn't he, his arse, was stripped off his back and tanned and turned into a belt so he could hold the hilt of his sword. Not Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's grim. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's pretty fucked. Um, <laughs> apparently, there's an anti-Scottish sentiment that the when the Scots had cut him up into pieces, they cooked him and they ate him. That definitely right. probably didn't happen. Uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but um, yeah, good for people thinking that. I mean, I've wa I watched like a YouTube video about this, and I watched one about Bannockburn, and obviously they're like what, like the only two battles that we basically won against the English. But each time it's been like kind of tactical genius. Yeah, I would recommend to anybody to watch a video on this where you can like watch the wee like crowds of the armies like yeah, yeah meeting each other. Yeah, it's, it is quite interesting. And the bit in Braveheart where it's the Battle of Stirling Bridge is also really good. <laughs> Although you can see like a wee car drive in the background. <laughs> oh, bless. My mum always used to say that. She's like, well, 
when you're watching Braveheart, there's a CR Smith van in the back. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so after the battle, Murray and Wallace assumed the titles of Guardians of the Kingdom of Scotland on behalf of King John Balliol. Murray died of wounds that he suffered on the battlefield sometime in late 1297, and later that year, Wallace would be knighted, becoming Sir William Wallace. Around November 1297, Wallace led a large-scale raid into Northern England through Northumberland and Cumberland and was quite successful in doing so, but also bear in mind that when you're raiding places like this, it, it is, I mean, and like he's fighting the forces of England, he's burning everywhere, attacking yeah. civilians, etc., etc. So it's like, I mean, that's what knights did. I mean, yeah. But it's not Still very grim. noble. So yeah, no. I would keep a feather in your hat about that. In April 1298, Edward I of England ordered a second invasion of Scotland. Two days prior to the Battle of Falkirk, 25,000 foot soldiers were paid. More than half of them would have been Welsh. They plundered Lothian and regained some castles, but failed to bring William Wallace to combat. The Scots shadowed the English army, intending to avoid battle until shortages of supplies and money forced Edward to withdraw, at which point the Scots would then harass his retreat. The English quartermaster's failure to prepare for the expedition left morale and food supplies low, and a resulting riot within Edward's own army had to be put down by his cavalry. In July, while planning a return to Edinburgh for supplies, Edward received intelligence that the Scots were encamped nearby at Falkirk, and he moved quickly to engage them in the pitched battle that he had been waiting for. So this is like, Murray's no longer alive, obviously, so this is like Wallace's battle. It's what he's fully in command of. He arranged his spearmen in four circular defensive hedgehog formations, probably surrounded by wooden stakes and connected by ropes. The English, however, employed Welsh longbowmen who swung tactical superiority in their favour. The English proceeded to attack with cavalry and put the Scottish archers to flight. So basically all Scotland has is these like spear formations and then some cavalry and some foot soldiers. Yeah. Nothing absolutely impressive. Yeah. The Scottish cavalry withdrew as well due to its inferiority to the English heavy horses. Edward's men began to attack the spearmen, which were still able to inflict heavy casualties on the English cavalry. But it remains unclear whether the infantry shooting bolts, arrows and stones at the spearmen proved the deciding factor. They are taking so much heat that they essentially disperse. If you're in one of these like spear formations, the name escapes me, and someone dies next to you, you're tied to them. Yeah. So, like, it becomes really heavy and really sluggish and you're all kind of yeah. trapped together. It's like the Battle of the Bastards on Game of Thrones. I was literally, I was literally <laughs> about to say it feels like the scene from the Battle of the Bastards was based off of this loosely. <laughs> like, yeah, it, like where Jon Snow's, like, in piles of bodies and yeah, can't move. Except yeah. it feels like it was like, but what if this went well? What if someone came to their rescue? <laughs> <laughs> so gaps in the spearmen are appearing... They're kind of carrying dead weight, and the English exploited this to crush the remaining resistance. The Scots lost many men, but Wallace escaped, though his military reputation suffered very, very badly. This was yeah. massively embarrassing. It does sound like it's it, it's kind of cringe. By September 1298, Wallace had resigned as Guardian of Scotland in favour of Robert the Bruce, the Earl of Carrick and future king. Mm -hmm. and John Common, King John Balliol's nephew. Details of Wallace's activities after this are vague, 
but there is some evidence that he left on a mission to the court of King Philip of France to plead the case for his assistance in the Scottish struggle for independence. But by 1304, Wallace was back in Scotland and he had been involved in skirmishes or in the Scottish borders against the English. Yeah, I was about to say, is it not like he went back to his sort of old ways? (laughs) Yes, the same kind of thing where it's like the pressures of like overbearing English officers on like Scottish natives. Yeah. results in like battles and he just seems to be involved in these wee skirmishes his reputation is never the same though but he's still an an important figure in the wars of independence and he's a wanted man by the english and he evades capture by the english until the 5th of august 1305 when john de menteith a scottish knight loyal to edward turned wallace over to the english soldiers at rob royston Mm-hmm. A site commemorated by a small monument in the form of a Celtic cross. Do you know what? I have a story about travelling once again today. So today, <laughs> the day on which we are recording this episode, when I get to the train station, for some reason all of the high-level trains, like the fast ones from Queen Street to Edinburgh, cancelled. So I had to get like the um, low-level train. But I got the one that went through Rob Royce, and I was like, how weird. I would never, ever in a day go through... <laughs> the town of Rob Royston but here I am on the day I know I'm going to be recording the second part of the William Wallace episode (laughs) in Rob Royston and I knew that that's where I knew that's where he got like apprehended and died or whatever but uh, yeah oh no I just he doesn't die there (laughs) well yeah he gets apprehended yeah but that's where my knowledge of him ends (laughs) (laughs) when you're a bit tears and really horrible Aye, letters of safe conduct for the King of Norway, Philip of France and John Balliol, along with other documents, were found in Wallace's possession and they were delivered to Edward. These are basically used as evidence against him for conspiring against the English, who they think are in charge of Scotland. Wallace was transported to London and then taken to Westminster Hall where he was tried for treasons and for atrocities against civilians in war, quote, sparing neither age nor sex, monk nor none. He was then crowned with a garland of oak to suggest that he was king of the outlaws. He responded to the treason charge, I could not be a traitor to Edward for I was never his subject. It's very, very Christ-like. Yeah, not the crucifixion. Yeah. Is this true? Yeah, happen? that's like that's like on record because obviously this is during his execution. This part is actually documented quite well. But the oak, even the oak. Yeah, if you look at any like excessive. A garland of oak, yeah. He's like basically dragged around the streets wearing this as well. It is very shame, Christ-like. Shame. It's like kind of how yeah. they put the crown of thorns on Jesus Christ and went, well, you're the king of the Jews. You think that was their point of reference? I mean, crucifixion and what we're about to talk about are two of the very worst ways to die and the whole thing about them is that it's an entire spectacle it's drawn out for hours it is absolutely torturous and it's just to put somebody in their place and humiliate them before they die yeah that's wild fully in the trial on the 23rd of august 1305 wallace was taken for the hall to the tower of london he was stripped naked and dragged through the city on the heels of a horse he was hanged, drawn and quartered, strangled by hanging, but released well, so he was still alive. He was emasculated. He was eviscerated. Does that mean they cut his pee-pee off? So when he was emasculated, yeah, they cut his um, genitalia off and they burned it in front of him. 
uh, he was eviscerated, which essentially means that he's he has a big gash cut on his stomach and his bowels are pulled for his stomach and they're burned before him. He was beheaded and then he was cut into four parts. So this is what is known as hung, drawn and quartered. Yeah. Wallace's head was dipped in tar and placed on a spike on London Bridge. His preserved head was later joined by the heads of his brother John and his compatriots Simon Fraser and Johnny Strathbogie. Wallace's limbs were displayed separately in Newcastle, Berwick, Stirling and Perth as a sign to ward off like would-be rebels. Yeah. Yeah. A plaque unveiled on the 8th of April 1956, stands in a wall of St Bartholomew's Hospital near the site of Wallace's execution at Smithfield. It includes in Latin words, I tell you the truth, freedom is what is best. Son, never lie with your life like a slave. In Gaelic, death and victory are written as an old Scottish battle cry. Mm. Very, very horrid. (laughs) There are no happy endings in Scottish history, like in world history in general, but like... Scottish yeah. icons have gruesome deaths. Yeah, I feel like um, obviously like Wallace was not successful in his wars with Scottish independence, but as his successor Robert Bruce, Robert the Bruce. Let me say this again. I obviously Wallace was not <laughs> successful during his campaigns of Scottish independence, but his successor Robert the Bruce would defeat Edward the First son Edward the Second at the Battle of Bannockburn. Classic. And classic. He, Ugh. <laughs> and sent him homewards famously to think again uh, <laughs> and this would <laughs> nice very good thank you this would like free scotland fay would be oppressors until the union when mary queen of scots's son james would become the king of scotland and england so like it wasn't all in vain i didn't think like wallace went on to inspire loads of people but yeah, Robert the Bruce might be the only Scottish hero who has like a, a slightly happier ending because I'm pretty sure he just dies warm in his bed. Oh, with his wee socks on. Like his yeah. woolly socks. <laughs> and he goes on to basically become like his daughter marries into the Stuart lineage. Yada yada. Uh, All roads lead to Mary Queen of Scots. Yep. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, 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 what I would like today... Uh, I obviously want to do Robert the Bruce at some point, but I want to talk about every James. Obviously, we've done them in the order. We've spoke about James the Six. We've spoke about James the Second. So I would like to date all the Stuart Jameses because every single yeah. one of them was fucked. Wild. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> yeah. Those like, bitches were crazy. I mean, I think it like goes along with the pressures of being a monarch. Like, you're not today what you want, or if you do, you're a tyrant. You're micromanaged on every single level, especially if you're a woman or if you're gay. Not that I'm saying I feel sorry for monarchs in any way. It's just like oh. all their stories seem to be like sad and fucked up because monarchy is sad and fucked up. Like maybe we should hang up, hang up that. Yeah, shit. let's not do that anymore. <laughs> oh my God. So that's been the Creepy Wee Podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at the Creepy Wee Podcast, Twitter at the Creepy Wee Pod. And if you want to buy merch or anything else, you can go to our website, thecreepywepodcast.co.uk. Thanks. Bye. This is for my people who just laugh so bad. Yeah, that's Reggie B. Man, are you late? I knew you were going to do that one. <laughs> Did I do that for Mary Queen of Scots as well? 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.